Hi, everyone, and welcome to the State of State Schools podcast. I'm your host, John Stamper, Christian author, former homeschooler, and former public school teacher. Once a week, I'll give a quick recap of the most important headlines in education and pull back the curtain on what's really happening in our kids' schools. If you're a teacher, parent, or homeschool family, this podcast is for you. Thanks for listening, and let's get started. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode number eight. We have seven headlines to get to, all coming from the week of February 20th. But before we get started, I just want to let everybody know my book is finally available. Uh, It's called Conflicted, Pulling Back the Curtain on Public Education. You can find it at masterbooks.com backslash conflicted. I just want to thank uh, all the good people at New Leaf Publishing and Masterbooks for all the help and guidance along the way. Let's get started. Headline number one comes from Fox News. An English teacher in Pennsylvania teaches sex ed by using graphic images and videos, but the school approves and so do the parents. The school is called Friends Central High School. It's a private school in Winwood, Winwood, Pennsylvania, and their sex ed curriculum goes from nursery age to 12th grade. The sexuality education coordinator is also an English teacher there, and he advises a group called the Gender and Sexual Orientation Alliance. In one interview, the teacher said his goal was to, quote, desensitize children to the images of genitalia, end quote. And to accomplish his goal during presentations to children, he shows pictures of male and female genitalia, as well as ejaculation videos. In one speech, he stated that, quote, Every one of our students from three years old up to 12th grade is a sexual being. They have been since birth. I'm only a small part of the village that supports them as they grow. It's not enough that I teach them. We have to teach them. We all, no matter what else we do in life, need to find a way to be sexuality educators for the kids in our life, end quote. So this is a common mindset in education that the village raises the child, not the parents. But look at what the village is teaching and listen to how motivated the village is to teach it to your babies. So this teacher said, quote, we have to teach them. No matter what else we do in life, we need to find a way to be sexuality educators for the kids in our lives. No matter what else, sexuality educators. Priority number one. So, okay, yes, humans have a biological sex as designed by God, but saying that humans are sexual beings doesn't justify showing graphic images and graphic videos to kids as young as three years old. It doesn't justify pushing gender confusion on them or encouraging them to experiment with gender transitioning. So the teacher continued in his speech, quote, if we don't step up, others will. And many of those others don't see wholeness and freedom the way we do. Our understandings of both gender and orientation have greatly expanded in our culture. And there's an ever-increasing list and labels uh, one can use to describe oneself. What it's also brought about is greater latitude in experimenting with different identities. It's not uncommon today for young people to try out different labels and different pronouns and different relationships in search of their truth, end quote. So according to this teacher, if parents don't approve, eh, it's because you don't understand wholeness and freedom. 
That's the attitude that drives wedges between parents and children. I've stated before that I'm not opposed to discussing any topic. I think there's a time and place for every conversation. But when it comes to topics like sex, parents should have the final say on when, where, and how it's discussed. In this case, parents did have a say. They knew about it and they approved. So for all the parents who are thinking about homeschooling or have already made the decision to homeschool, this story should be an encouragement to you that you're making the right decision. Headline number two comes from the post-millennial. A rising number of children's books are promoting the transgender ideology and teaching children how to be trans. A group called Transgender Trend opposes the transgender ideology and promotes science-based learning in schools. Their research found 45 picture books made for preschoolers that teach them how to become transgender. The books, of course, portray the happiest of little cartoon children who happen to be trans. Uh, children are taught that what you wear determines your gender. So if a boy wears a dress, now he's a girl. And since boys can become girls, now they can use the girl's bathroom. So stereotypes are very prevalent in the books, often portraying feminine boys as girls and masculine girls as boys. So one interesting theme among the books is that the trans characters are always children while the gay characters are always adults. So the trans push is aimed at the youngest ages and it's going younger and younger all the time. So the books wanna paint a picture of happy-go-lucky trans kids without a care in the world, and they intentionally leave out the issues that trans individuals experience in adulthood, like mastectomies, hysterectomies, breast binders, puberty, puberty blockers, sex change surgeries, you know, just to name a few. The California Department of Education also updated its recommended reading list at the beginning of this school year to include books about children who are going through a gender transition, beginning with kindergarten. An elementary school principal in Minnesota recommended a book to her kindergarten through third graders called Jack, Not Jackie. The book tells about a little girl named Jackie who likes to play with bugs and mud and therefore must really be a boy. So this is the trend. Uh, that teachers and parents need to be aware of. It seems like five to 10 years ago, only universities were covering topics like this. Then it was high schools and middle schools. Now it's elementary schools and preschools. So parents, you are the last line of defense for your kids. My parents pulled my siblings and me out of public school to give us a biblical education and it's made all the difference. So parents matter. So know that your kids will remember what you do and what you stand for and it'll matter to them as they grow. Headline number three comes from Fox News. A California school district hosted an event for all of its staff members, except the white staff members. They were told not to attend. Leading up to the Bay Area School District event, the school's Director of Student Support and Equity Inclusion sent a staff email saying, quote, hello, POCC staff. We are ready for our first coming together in 2023. We are looking forward to seeing our people of color in the district. Please invite any employee of color to this event. Be reminded that we avoided inviting people that are not of color, as there remains feelings of uneasiness and mistrust. And we need this to be a safe space for our people of color, end quote. So everyone's invited, but not the white people. 
We're so excited to come together, but not everyone's coming together. So this is racial segregation, publicly funded racism. According to this article and these emails, white people, according to the school district, make people uneasy and make spaces unsafe or dangerous, according to this director of equity inclusion. So apparently inclusion means everyone but white people. I wonder what the reaction would be if the statement was reversed and people of color were not invited. There would be an outrage and rightly so because this is racism. This is racial segregation. It's not right. Imagine being a white staff member at this school, being told by your own school district that you're not welcome. Your colleagues see you as a threat and a danger. And then imagine teaching this to the students. White kids are dangerous. And if you're not white, you should be afraid of your white classmates. This is what the teachers and staff are modeling for their students at this school. So I saw racial discrimination when I was teaching in Chicago. We were taught about intersecting identities and that white people are abusive just because they're white. And those aren't my words. That's directly from the training. It's racist. It's prejudiced. It's discrimination. It's wrong. So for the teachers and parents who are still in public schools or private schools, if you haven't experienced this yet, you're fortunate, but be ready in case it comes your way. Headline number four comes from Chalkbeat in Tennessee. The state of Tennessee is talking about rejecting federal funding for education so that they can be free from federal rules and regulations. Tennessee House Speaker Cameron Sexton introduced the idea and said the 1.8 billion of state funds and the 3.2 billion of new revenue would more than make up for the loss of federal funding. The DOE and many others are not taking the idea seriously, but Sexton is serious and says he absolutely thinks they should do it. Sexton stated that, quote, now is the time to look at it. It doesn't mean that you do it this year or you have to do it in the next six months, but it starts with an idea, end quote. It's an idea that has the governor and many state education leaders interested and downright excited. One state rep expressed support by saying, quote, I would do everything in my power to pass that bill. We want Tennessee to have more autonomy when it comes to educating our kids, end quote. Another representative said, quote, I think my constituents at home would love it, end quote. So this concept of not having government oversight is very important, especially when it comes to the school choice movement, vouchers, education savings accounts. Um, I am not the authority on the topic. I'm still learning myself, but basically whenever public funds are distributed by government agencies, there are strings attached because there's government oversight. So if school vouchers or ESAs use tax dollars, use public funds, or are allocated by a government agency and you use them, even if you're a Christian school or homeschooler, and you use them, you're inviting the government to control your education. You just became a government school. That's the fear, at least, and the danger with accepting federal funding. So while Oklahoma has also discussed phasing out federal funding over a 10-year period, there isn't a single state in the U.S. currently rejecting federal funding. Honestly, because once those government strings are attached, it's hard to cut them loose. And those government strings are what Mr. Sexton is looking to get rid of with this idea. Matthew Shaw, an assistant professor of law, public policy and education at Vanderbilt, stated, quote, states do not have to accept federal funding at first glance. These are carrot stick programs in which the federal government 
has policy objectives. And in order to encourage states to go along with them, offers money, end quote. So here, this professor describes the government program as carrot stick programs. This is also known as strings attached, shekels with shackles, or the power of the purse. The idea of rejecting federal funds is still new, and a lot of questions need to be answered. You know, the trouble is that public education has become so completely dependent on government oversight, so much so that the idea of being in charge of ourselves is almost a foreign concept. For example, the government dictates how funds are distributed, where they're distributed, who gets how much. If federal funds are rejected, yes, you may have freedom and autonomy, but those who have become so dependent on government wouldn't want to see those funds disappear. And that's the challenge. Personally, I love the idea of getting government out of education. That's one reason why I support homeschooling. Uh, and I want to keep it that way. To keep the government strings unattached is very important. I have a lot of family in Tennessee, so I'll be interested in seeing where this goes. Headline number five comes from Fox News. In Minnesota, the St. Paul Public Schools, quote, gender inclusion policy, end quote, requires staff to use preferred names, preferred pronouns when addressing students, regardless of parental consent. The gender inclusion policy would also allow for trans students to use whichever facility, bathroom, locker room, they're most comfortable with, meaning boys can use girls' facilities and vice versa. So policies like this are clearly in favor of the trans student over the non-trans student because the trans student gets to go wherever they're comfortable and everyone else who's uncomfortable just has to deal with it or leave. The thoughts, feelings, and concerns, and well-being of the non-trans students become secondary, not important. So policies like this are completely demoralizing, kind of dehumanizing to those non-trans students. For a student to change their name and pronoun in school, they must first submit a, quote, name gender change request form, end quote. The policy states that if parents are unavailable, quote, unquote, then the student can go ahead and submit the form without parental consent or knowledge. So all you have to do is say, oh, my parents are unavailable. And the form goes to school staff. You're right on your way. So to summarize, one, children can officially change their name and pronoun in school. Two, staff at the school are required to use those preferred names and pronouns. And three, trans students can use whatever bathroom or locker room they're comfortable with. And the kicker, parents don't need to know about any of it. And this is the largest school district in Minnesota. This impacts a lot of kids and a lot of parents. So this is a huge reason why more and more teachers are leaving public schools or leaving the teaching profession like I did. I refuse to lie to students and their parents about their gender. I wasn't going to contribute to the dysphoria or confusion, and I definitely was not going to hide it from parents. So kids generally trust their teachers. So when a teacher uh, affirms a trans identity, it only causes that student to go deeper and deeper. Headline number six comes from WRTV in Indiana, my home state. A bill passed the House Education Committee that would prohibit schools from teaching kindergarten through third graders about sexual orientation gender roles, gender identity, and gender expression. The bill would also require schools to get parental consent 
before using a transgender name or pronoun with a student. House Bill 1608 passed the House Committee on party lines with a vote of 9 to 4 and must reach the Senate by February 27th or it's dead. One parent who supports the bill said, quote, <clears throat> the law has long held that a child's parents get to choose how their child will be raised. This includes their religion, their values, their beliefs. But there's a dominant force in our society that disregards this right and believes that our children should be taught such concepts in the public school, end quote. Another parent who opposes the bill said, quote, this bill creates a culture around shaming and it takes away yet another safe space for us to be, end quote. Again, the bill is only for kindergarten through third grade. Only at the youngest ages is the topic of sexuality not discussed. Once they get to fourth grade, I guess it's floodgates open, but some people feel so strongly that five and six-year-olds need to explore their sexuality, and that's kind of disturbing to me. It's really disturbing. I think a lot of people say they're upset that kids won't be able to discuss their sexuality, but really they're upset that adults won't be able to discuss their sexuality. So I taught kindergartners for 10 years when I was a gym teacher. Hundreds and hundreds, maybe even into the thousands. You know how many of those kids couldn't tie their own shoes? Couldn't find their way back to the classroom or the cafeteria or the nurse's office? Or still peeing their pants in class? So I'm not making fun of these little kids at all, but my point is they're children. Why in the world are we teaching them queer theory, gender identity at this age? And then you say parents shouldn't be involved? It's unreal. So a spokesperson for the Alliance Defending Freedom Group said in support, quote, a teacher should never be forced to abandon their beliefs about the meaning of male or female just to keep their jobs, end quote. The ACLU said in opposition, quote, Hoosiers see this bill for what it really is, a blatant attack on LGBTQ families in Indiana. Our schools should protect all students, including LGBTQ students, so they can learn and thrive in a safe environment, end quote. Okay, so let me make some comments here. First of all, the bill states that schools can't teach, quote unquote, human sexuality, which also includes heterosexuality, not just LGBTQ. Second, if LGBTQ students are attacked because LGBTQ curriculum isn't taught, then are the straight students attacked because the straight curriculum isn't taught? And I think the real problem is that these topics like gender theory, gender expression, gender identity, gender roles, gender spectrum, schools and teachers always say we're going to teach these things. Just like we teach reading and writing, like it's just accepted as fact. Gender theory is not fact. It's a theory and should be taught as a theory, but not to the youngest, most vulnerable children. Boys can't become girls. It's biologically impossible. But the idea is that it's just taught as something that kids can try out. They can experiment with it. They can pick and choose where they feel like they belong on the gender spectrum today. It's total chaos, total confusion, but it's presented as fact. That's the problem. That's just my two cents, but hopefully we'll have an update uh, on next week's episode. All right, headline number seven, our final one, kind of a feel-good headline uh, coming from the Christian Post. Grace Christian Academy in Knoxville, Tennessee 
experienced a revival-like atmosphere last week on campus. The school held an annual event called Discipleship Days, where students participate in discussions and activities where they learn more about God's word and can grow in their love for Christ. One spokesperson for the school said that after a worship service ended, some of the middle school students decided to stay and keep worshiping. Students were singing, praying, seeking God, and some even gave their hearts to Jesus. School leadership even rearranged the class schedules to allow for the spontaneous worship service to continue. Uh, the school's principal said that, quote, God can speak in showers or waves. And at last week's discipleship days, he decided to flood our campus with his presence, end quote. The principal added that she hadn't seen something like this happen in over 12 years. So here's a great example of unity. We talk so much about headlines and stories happening in schools that are divisive. But this is what unity in Christ looks like. No one's talking about their skin color, how much money they have. These kids are praying for one another, praising God together, encouraging one another. And that's a great story. Well, that's all we have for this episode. That's the State of State Schools. Thank you, everybody.